Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Over the years, and especially in recent ones, I have come to love the book of Acts more and more, which may explain why I taught a course on Acts to the folks up in Howard County last fall, why I taught a Bible study on the conversion of St. Paul from Acts chapter 9 just not long ago at Common Ground. And it's not only because Acts or the Acts of the Apostles is just filled with adventures one after another, all of which come with their intrigue and their, and their tension and sometimes even their conflict. But they also illustrate one time after another, after another, just what people were willing to do for faith and for God as these early decades of the newly born Christian church begin to uh, unfold. And today's episode from Acts chapter 11 is not only one of those examples, but it's actually one of the key turning points in the entire history of our faith, while at the same time wrestling with one of the most volatile, one of the most divisive issues ever to face the infant church or the church today or individual Christians today like you and me. And that is the issue of boundaries and where we're willing or unwilling to go and what we're willing or unwilling to do in order to advance the message of Jesus in this world. And so the scene before us in Acts chapter 11 is the city of Jerusalem about 10 years after the resurrection. The church is growing, but it's growing primarily as the messianic sect of Judaism. In other words, with people who had come to believe that Jesus was their promised Messiah of Israel. And Peter is one of those people who believes in Jesus. But he's still going back to the temple. He's still adhering to religious laws and traditions and, and the restrictions that he had known growing up as a boy. That is, until something happens to him that changes everything. And that something was a trip to the town of Joppa, out on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, which today is a suburb of Tel Aviv, and then north about 30 miles to the town of Caesarea, named after the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus, and was a seaport town and the headquarters of the Roman army, which was the occupying force of Israel at that time. Peter goes to Caesarea, not a very friendly place, also because it was made up mostly of Gentiles, in other words, non-Jews, who were restricted in their contacts severely from Gentiles or with Gentiles. And yet, Peter goes to Caesarea. And he goes there at the invitation of all people, a Roman soldier, whose name is Cornelius, who has status, he's got rank, he's got money and influence, but he doesn't have God. And so through a number of circumstances, he asks Peter to come and talk to him about his faith. And Peter does that. Peter crosses the boundaries. He breaks the rule. He violates tradition by crossing the threshold into the home of Cornelius, the Gentile Roman soldier, and there in that house, 
he advances the gospel of Jesus so that at the end of the day, Cornelius and his family are baptized. And that is the moment when the Christian faith crosses the threshold and becomes not just a messianic sect of Judaism, but a community of grace for the rest of the whole world, which you think ought to be a good thing. But the story goes on and the plot thickens. And now we're in Acts chapter, chapter 11, and when Peter returns to Jerusalem, instead of being welcomed as this spiritual hero who dares to you know, go into this hotbed of spiritual and political uh, opposition, the epicenter of all of that, the leaders of the Christian church back in the city of Jerusalem have a fit. They rake him over the coals. And they meet him and they say, you did what? You went into the home of a Gentile? A Roman soldier? You ate with them? You baptized them? Brother, you got some explaining to do here. And so, you know, here's Peter. I mean, this is a person who has been with Jesus personally. And now he has to explain himself. He has to defend his decision to cross that boundary, to break that rule, to go over that threshold and baptize a person who does not meet Jesus through the house of Israel, who technically was an enemy of Israel, but who also was looking for God and who meets God in the person of Jesus because of Peter's willingness to go there. And so what's a missionary to do? He's asked to explain himself, and so he explains himself. And that's in Acts chapter 11, where he tells the leaders of the church in Jerusalem that when he was back in Joppa, he had a vision one day. He was praying in the afternoon, he says, and he was hungry in the middle of the day. We know that from Acts chapter 10. And, and in his prayer and in his hunger, he says, I saw something like a, a big white sheet coming down from the sky, and on it were depicted a, a bunch of animals. I mean, maybe it was something like, you know, his lunch menu coming to him in his trance. I don't know. But on the other hand, he says that he recognized that some of those animals were forbidden under the, the laws of Leviticus in the, in the Old Testament. And when a voice says to him, hey, there you go, there's your men menu, get up and go eat, Peter says, I can't eat because these are unclean. After which the voice says to him a second time, Peter, what God has made clean you must not call profane. What does that mean? Well, what it means is that on this side of the resurrection, that Jesus, the risen Christ, through his sacrificial obedience, sets us free from all those dietary restrictions, all those interpersonal restrictions that you find in the book of Leviticus because he has satisfied that law by his obedience so that that is no longer the way to get right with God. What it means is that on this side of the resurrection, Jesus has made the profane to be clean. Well, no sooner does he have this uh, vision in Joppa than these guys show up from, guess where, Caesarea. And they ask him to come back with them to talk to Cornelius, 
the Roman soldier. Now you can imagine Peter you know, saying to himself, all right, let me get this right. This guy's a Gentile? He's a member of the Roman army? He's in Caesar town? What do I do about this? And yet, you can also imagine that somewhere in the midst of this 400-level boundary issue that he's wrestling with, Peter starts to connect the dots back to the vision that he has just had, and he starts to realize that this God-given vision wasn't just about animals, but it was also about people. What God has made clean you must not call profane. And that's the decision. Peter decides to go to Caesarea. He baptizes Cornelius and his family against the rules in violation of the boundaries. And with that, the door of salvation in Jesus Christ swings open to the rest of the world. And that's his explanation to the, uh, the leaders of the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 11, except to end with that beautiful rhetorical question in verse 17, where he says, after all that, and who am I that I should get in the way of God? But I'll tell you what, the verse that gets a lump in my throat, at least, is the next one, where Luke says to us, that the leaders in Jerusalem were silenced. They were dumbfounded at Peter's explanation in response to their question of why in the world you would have done what you did. And you can just imagine there, sitting there in silence until it is broken with those beautiful words of verse 18. And they were praising God. And they opened their eyes and said, you know what, Peter, you're right. You know, God has given this great change. God has given this amazing gift even to the Gentiles. And so as controversial as Peter's actions were, his testimony prevails. And what results is an irreversible step forward in the mission of Jesus Christ. Is that cool or what? Well, you know, with all of that uh, as a review for you, uh, let me just highlight uh, a few things as an encouragement to us today as we think about what it means to advance the good news of Jesus to the Corneliuses in your life. In other words, people who don't come from the same place that you come from. People who don't have the same experience that you do. People who may be different from you in just every single category that you could possibly muster up in, in your mind. Like the fact that Peter is willing to go to Cornelius. He doesn't just you know, decline the invitation politely. He doesn't chicken out, so to speak. He doesn't say, well, you know, Cornelius wants to come see me. He can come down to Joppa to see me. I, I'm here. No, he goes. He goes to this new place, this unfamiliar place, this hostile place, because that's where the gospel needs to go. And we have a phrase in the ministry that uh, you got to fish where the fish are, you know, because not all of them will come to you in the same one place. 
There are people in our congregation uh, right now who have a vision for launching a ministry of St. Andrew in the Ellicott City area of Howard County. You know this. Is that because people from Howard County will not come here to Silver Spring? No. Many do. I hope they keep coming. But there are thousands of Corneliuses who need us to come to them. Where they live, where they move, where they have their being. Which is precisely how this congregation got started in the first place 70 years ago, this coming fall, which we will celebrate, started by another church that was just three miles away at the time. Just imagine if none of this had ever happened. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I say to myself, well, isn't it just you know, easier to you know, invite them to come to us? And the answer is, absolutely. It's way easier. It's a lot cheaper. But the question is, where am I willing to go? What am I willing or unwilling to do? Is there somebody with whom I will not sit down? This guy's a big decision to make. And he knows that not everybody in his own community is going to be down with that decision. But he makes it, and he goes, because he will not get in the way of God. Uh, the other week, the staff and I were uh, meeting together and thinking about a project that caused us to uh, make a list uh, in which we determined that there are at least 25 different nations that are represented in the current uh, membership of the Lutheran Church of St. Andrew. Probably more, and we're going to check that out. But at least 25. For which I say thank God and thank you, for, you know, for that, for that little taste of heaven. I can also tell you that the membership of St. Andrew, though we are a Lutheran church, is made up uh, not just of uh, Lutherans, uh, but people who have come from all kinds of Christian denominations, all religions, no religion. I mean, we got from Wesleyans to Wiccans. We got it all. Which is to say that while I'm very happy to be part of a Lutheran church, the fact is that this ministry is about something way, way more than being a franchise for Lutheran Christians only. And I think you know that. Second thing I want to highlight here is Peter's willingness to explain himself, and not just to the leaders of the church back in Jerusalem in Acts 11, but to Cornelius himself in Acts chapter 10, in that critical intersection in the history of our faith, when he walks over that boundary, when he crosses it, which is to say he covers it with the cross, and he uses it as his bridge to enter that house where he looks at these people with whom I assume he was unfamiliar. And into their eyes he looks and says, I think with some emotions, I now get it. I now get this. I now see that God accepts people of every nation. 
And the word for nation in Greek is ethne, where you get ethnic. Every ethnic person. And that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. If I'm Cornelius and I got success and I got power, I got money, and I have the whole smash, but I don't have Jesus, and I hear that I've been accepted by God, that I have peace with God through Jesus, my life is forever changed in that moment. And so our call in just that way is to get ready to explain ourselves when the moment presents itself. You know, when I was in my 20s, I would go sailing on occasion with a member of my extended family. And one thing I can tell you is that raising a sail does not guarantee the wind. <laughs> However, if the wind blows and the sail has not been raised, you miss out on the great adventure. Which is to say, when we get ready to explain ourselves to our sisters and brothers, to the Corneliuses who we meet along the way, it's like raising that sail because the wind blows wherever it pleases and you don't know where it comes from. You don't know when, when it's going to come. But if the sail has not been raised, then we're going to miss out on the great adventure. And the, the third thing I want to I highlight from this passage in Acts 10 and in Acts 11 is the most important of all. And it has to do with the fact that these boundary issues that I'm speaking of have been settled not by Peter and not by the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and not by the leaders of the church today and not by me, and not by you. The boundary issues have been settled by Jesus Christ, who included people in his community that no one would have ever imagined or thought of. Fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, Samaritans, Gentiles, Roman army officers, showing us that what God has made clean, we must never, ever call profane. There is an old story about a rabbi who asked his students one day, how you know when the night is truly over and the day has finally come. And one of them said, well, is it when the sun is all the way in the sky and not just on the horizon? And the rabbi said, no, that is not it. And so another said, well, is it when you can see an animal in the distance and tell whether it's a sheep or a goat? And the rabbi said, no, that is not it. And they took a few more guesses, after which they finally said, well, tell us, how do you know when, when the night is over and the day has truly come? And the rabbi said, it's when you look at another person and you see your brother or your sister. Until then, it is still the night. Blessings to you and to me and to our church and to every church as we capture the God-given vision of Christ 
for his life among us, for our mission, which is his mission to this world, as we cross the boundaries, which is to say we cover them with the cross for the hope of the nations, for the joy of the world that includes all people everywhere to the glory of the risen Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to rise as we confess our faith together.